Welcome back to another edition of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at JReedNFL. Again, that's at J-R-E-I-D-NFL. And we are in the midst of free agency going on around the league. There's so much hot news coming in every single hour of the day, it seems like. We have Antonio Brown going to the Raiders. We have the Packers making a huge splash with signing both of the Smiths to come off the edge in Preston and Zadarius Smith. Anthony Barr going back on his word with the New York Jets and then returning to the Minnesota Vikings. There's so much news going on around the NFL, and we're going to dive into that today. Also, we have an interview with Mike Band of Next Gen Stats. Really terrific interview with Mike. He has a former background with the Minnesota Vikings, and also he has spent some time with the Florida Gators as well as a recruiting assistant. He was in the Minnesota Vikings analytical department, so he has some experience there. And also he's going to dive a bit more into his background. So it's a really fun interview that we'll get into later into the show. But first, I want to talk about the Antonio Brown trade with the Oakland Raiders. And there's been some back and forth going on. There's mixed opinions that have happened about it. So I'm going to take a hard stance with this, and I'm going to say that Antonio Brown and Drew Rosenhaus, I think they got the better end of the deal. And why do I say that? Out of Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers only got three playoff wins out of it, and they only have a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick to show for it. Now that Le'Veon Bell is gone and Antonio Brown is with the Oakland Raiders, I just think it was a massive failure with that entire Triple B's trio now that two of them are out the door, and they decided to side with Big Ben. And that's not to say that they were wrong about that. We'll see what does come of Antonio Brown's replacement in Pittsburgh. They already have Juju Smith-Schuster there. They drafted James Washington last year. And even though he had minimal production, the Steelers are known to draft receivers very well. And we'll see what they do with the 20th pick. They also have a plethora of more picks as well. So they're going to get their chance to take a receiver and eventually fill the shoes of Antonio Brown. But just speaking from Antonio Brown's side, He leveraged what he could with the Steelers, and I think he got the better end of the deal because he ultimately got exactly what he wanted. He got an extra $30 million guaranteed, and now he's the highest-paid NFL receiver as well. So I think he used his leverage to his advantage, but he really didn't give the Steelers an ultimatum because, yes, they could have shipped him to Buffalo, but he took a hard stance. He said he wasn't going to show up, reportedly. That's what the report said about him. And I think it was the right thing to do, honestly, because he doesn't want to go to Buffalo. He wants to go somewhere where he can win. And, yes, the Raiders are far away. And maybe the Raiders are a bit closer to winning than the Bills are right now or vice versa. We really don't know because they're they're really in the similar mold. They both have a top 10 pick right now. And we'll see what comes about as they do make their weaknesses, their strengths, as they go along the free agent process and also into the draft. Oakland has four picks inside the top 35. So John Gruden and Mike Mayock, yes, they have their work cut out for them, but they have their superstar in place now with Antonio Brown. We'll see if Derek Carr is the long-term solution under center there. And I think it's a make-or-break year for Derek Carr coming up, and they're trying to surround him with as many weapons as humanly possible. Now that they have Trent Brown in the door, they set up some extra protection for him. It looks like Colton Miller is going to transition to the full-time right tackle spot right now. Brandon Parker may be transitioned inside, or he may just be the swing tackle going forward because he obviously was not ready last year. Everyone knows that. It was very clear. Colton Miller didn't seem to be ready last year either, and I know he battled some injuries, but this is a big year for him going into year two. He was banged up last year, but now he's going to be fully healthy going into next year, and he's going to be fully entrenched as that starter at right tackle. But staying on subject with Antonio Brown, It's going to be really interesting to see exactly what happens with this because the biggest task for the Raiders is building up their offense and their defense, of course. 
to see if they can match Antonio Brown's contract length. And why do I say that? He's only under contract for three years. And who knows if the Raiders will be ready to win during that time period. John Gruden has a 10-year contract. We don't really know if he's going to last through the entirety of his deal. But they have no choice right now because they seem to be in win-now mode. And yes, I understand that they're building this thing up. But they've taken baby steps right now. But Antonio Brown deal really was like a home run swing for them because Amari Cooper is out the door. Khalil Mack is out the door. Now you have to replace some star power in the building. And that's exactly what they did with Antonio Brown. And that brings me to my next subject, which is Trent Brown with that offensive line. I think Trent Brown is a good signing overall because they needed help at tackle. And yes, it makes it seem like the Colton Miller pick was redundant. And it seems like it was kind of pointless at this point, even though they made Trent Brown the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. Colton Miller can now transition to that right tackle spot. And if he does turn out to be a productive starter, that will be great for them because now they have their bookends for the future. And yes, they shipped off Kalecio Assembly to the New York Jets, which is another great pickup by the Jets as well. But they still have a plethora of draft picks to where they can fill in that interior. They still have Gabe Jackson on the interior as well. So they have some pieces in the middle. Now they have a glaring hole at that right guard spot. So we'll see how they do address that through the draft. But the future is looking really bright in Oakland. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first round upsets, or even all of the above, my bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with the title? Can Virginia get past his loss to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, my bookie is the perfect place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE. Again, deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. I want to transition now to the New York Jets and a team that I think is really having a fantastic start to free agency. And yes, Mike McCagnan really has wasted the talent on this roster for the past four years, or he's, should I say, lack thereof putting talent on the roster. But he's taken full advantage of having Sam Darnold on a rookie year deal. And that's exactly the new trend that's going on right now throughout the league. Whenever a team has a rookie deal or a quarterback on a rookie deal, it is best to fill up all of those spots with as many contracts as you can or more reasonable contracts as you can and take advantage of them being on that cheap deal before you have to pay them a lot of money in the future after their fifth-year option is up or if you want to extend them prior to that fifth-year option. That's what Mike McCagnan is doing right now. You sign C.J. Mosley, trade for Kalecio Simley, you bring in Jamison Crowder, and a host of other moves as well. Now the Anthony Barr move did backfire on them because he did back out but I love the aggressive nature that Mike McCagnan is showing and he is definitely operating like a guy whose job is on the line because I'm sure it's very clear that they have made that they have made it very clear to him that he has to provide some results you bring in your own your own head coach again now that Todd Bowles is out the door you bring in Adam Gase so now this is your second chance to get it right and that's exactly what he's doing they needed some help in that defense specifically at edge rusher we'll see what they do with the number three overall pick 
But they have their guy in the middle of the defense in C.J. Mosley. And, yes, there's going to be a lot of money. Teams are going to overpay. And that's not to say that the Mosley deal was correct or if it could prove to be right. But it's really TBD. It's really to be decided. We really don't know at this point. And we'll know whether that's two or three years down the road if it was a correct signing, even though he got 17 to $18 million a year, which by far makes him the highest paid linebacker in the entire NFL. But you have that middle piece in your defense. In the second level of the defense, you have Jamal Adams on the third level of the defense. Now you need to get that pass rusher up front, whether that's a Josh Allen or even a Quentin Williams in the middle to go alongside Leonard Williams as well. They need to get some type of edge presence or a person in the middle that can generate consistent pressure. And then the deal that really backfired on them was Anthony Barr. And this was a bit of a surprising move to me because I thought Anthony Barr wanted to go somewhere where he could get paid. And that's exactly what the New York Jets were providing him. His deal was reportedly just north of $14 million a year. But some surprising news came out where he really backed out of the deal with the New York Jets. And as I thought about it, it was a bit surprising. But as you think about it more, you start to think he was Mike Zimmer's first ever draft pick with the Vikings. He's getting to play alongside his best friend from college and Eric Kendricks when they were at UCLA together. And also, he just loves his fit in the culture in Minnesota as well. So he got a little bit of cold feet, and he had some second thoughts about it, and he just opted to come back. He took a lesser deal, around $13.5 million, and kudos to him. A lot of times, we gloss over these players. They just go to the highest bidder. And that's something that Anthony Barr wasn't all about. But there were some bad reports about him that reportedly said that that's what he really was seeking. But it really wasn't. He just wanted to go somewhere where he could fit. I was a bit skeptical about his fit with the New York Jets because they were going to play him reportedly at edge rusher when they did transition to this 3-4 defense that Greg Williams is reportedly trying to implement. So him being an edge rusher, I thought I was really skeptical about that because he hasn't played it since he was at UCLA. And it's going to be a bit of a growing period with him because he hasn't done it in five years. He's been playing off-ball linebacker. He's been playing that Sam position spot for the Vikings for the past five years. So it was going to be a bit of a transition for him. And I know Jets fans got mad at me a bit when I did say that, but I didn't mean any harm by him. You're not going to find a bigger Anthony Barr fan than me. And yes, he does reportedly coast at some times. He doesn't show full effort at times. And that's really apparent with him. I'm not going to sit here and lie about that because I don't know exactly why he did that. Nobody really knows. Mike Zimmer called him out about it, but na- but now maybe that he's a he's a full he's a filthy rich man and now that he's fully comfortable with this situation in Minnesota and he doesn't have any worries about getting hurt in the future or anything like that when he is playing. Now that he's gotten his guaranteed money, he's gotten the hefty contract that he's looking for. Maybe now we will see that rookie year or 2015 form of Anthony Barr when he was just an absolute terror coming off the edge and also up the middle of the defense and just flying around all over the field. And Anthony Barr is actually a guy me and Mike Band are going to dive into here in a second when we get to the interview with him. So before we get to that interview, here's a word from our sponsors. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and also a travel blade cover as well. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your front door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. 
Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Again, that's harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades comes with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E to redeem your razor for only $3. I want to welcome in now a very special guest, a guy who I've been able to develop a really good relationship with to this point, and it's Mike Band from Next Gen Stats, and I just want to go over his resume really quick because it's very impressive. He was a Florida recruiting assistant from 2011 to 2012. He has experience with the Vikings in the scouting and personnel on the analytical side as well, and now he's transitioned to the NFL media with the Next Gen Stats as well. Mike, how's everything going? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. And you know, you've had a background in the NFL. It's something that I do with every guest that comes on the show. I just let them shed a little bit of light on their background story. So just tell our guests where you're from, how you came up in the business, and what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I grew up in Potomac, Maryland. Uh, you know, I, I ended up at the University of Florida. Um, but really, you know, my, fo- my journey in football starts in high school. So it comes, you know, it's, I, I've always had an affinity for the NFL draft and really the team building process, always with an eye for working for an NFL team one day. So I think it was, it was 2007 draft. I was a junior in high school at the time. And I reached out to Ryan McChrystal of draftace.com. And I asked him if I can post my rankings, my mock drafts, scouting reports, articles. This was at the very beginning before there was thousands of draft websites out there. I mean, it was, you know, draft ace was one of the, uh, the originals. And so it was an awesome experience trying to grow my scouting abilities and just, you know, understanding what a scout would do and what they'd look at from a film eval uh, process. When I got to the university of Florida for undergrad, uh, I had a plan and that plan was essentially to make a draft guide each year which I can then use as a portfolio of work to get in the door of an NFL team. So my junior year at Florida, I get the email address of the director of player personnel for the football team, and I send him my draft guides, and I send him a spreadsheet of high school prospects. And after several follow-up emails, I ended up getting into the door. He invited me into the lobby. I stuffed envelopes for a few weeks, and a few weeks later, I was invited back into the recruiting office. Uh, You know, from there, it was... Uh, it, it was M- Will Muschamp's uh, first few weeks there, uh, and what was most exciting about that opportunity was the coaches that he, that he had in place. Charlie Weiss was the offensive coordinator. Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator. And, it, I mean, it was just a surreal experience being a college kid and being around these types of NFL coaches. Uh, so what started as a couple days being in the Florida office turned into I just simply never left the office. And, and really it was a – awesome experience, not just being at, you know, from, from looking at it from the draft side, but also looking at it from the high school side, from how does recruiting work? And then how do you sort of transition the, your evals from, a, from a, a guy who might be ready made out of the draft to sort of the high school raw profile? Um, and really it was, it, it was always with the idea of, you know, college is great and it's so great to learn, you know, during my time at Florida, 
but I really wanted to get into the league. I really wanted to get into the NFL. So I kept making draft guides. And the 2013 edition was well over 200 pages. Uh, you know, I, I always had an affinity for the analytics side of the game. So in this draft guide, I created an analytics formula to, to sort of quantify everything in the scattered report. So it was, you know, a grade for, for talent, a grade for athleticism, production, size, character, et cetera. So I sent this draft guide to about six teams, two called back, one was the Vikings. Uh, after two full days of interviews, I decided to move from Gainesville, Florida to, to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and, and at that point, it was, you know, I, ever since that moment, I, I, every experience, especially when I got to Minnesota, was absolutely invaluable for, for my career, my development, and my skill set. So, you know, from going to Minnesota and working in their scouting department, I was able to truly learn how to scout. Uh, so I worked on both the pro and college personnel sides. Only what I realized was the inefficiencies that existed at the front office level, at the coaching staff level. So it became almost an obsession to figure out how do we incorporate not only data and information throughout the front office, but how that data could support decision-making. And remember, this is 2013, 2014, when the word analytics was not necessarily the buzzword of choice at the NFL level. So in my second season at, with the Vikings, and, and I was doing some analytical, analytical projects and, 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 so, and that sort of thing, I was connected with Jared Lander of Lander Analytics, uh, who introduced me to the world of, of data science and, and programming and, and you know, data management and everything the likes. And at the time, I always had this vision of, of how can we leverage all the data that our scouts collect to essentially create a, a draft model, right? How do we predict uh, for the 2015 draft? And we ended up building a model and, and sort of, and uh, it was sure enough, the 2015 draft where analytics supported the picks of Eric Hendricks, Daniil Hunter, Stefan Diggs, uh, uh, all with analytical validated uh, claims. And from there it was like, okay, this is, you know, this is the path for me. This is the exciting part. And it was so new at the NFL level that it almost felt like um, it, it felt like a new opportunity and something that you've got to get ahead of. So I left the Vikings and I went to the University of Chicago and got my master's in analytics. And I was training. I wanted to train to be a football data scientist. And it was about getting out of Excel and it was getting into programming languages and to fully be the full fledged analyst that a that you know a team or or whatever it is I do that can simply not only uh, analyze data but control every process of the data and really it, it was an awesome experience having football as a background and then going and learning analytics because every class you're always thinking hey how can we apply this to football how can we leverage uh, this type of model to to make better decisions my thesis in fact was how was to develop a NFL draft trade optimizer. So how can a team maximize the return on any trade in the draft? Um, and, and with that, it, you know, it's, it's one thing that I'll, I know I'll, I'll take with me for, for um, you know, as long as I'm doing this, but it is a fun experience trying to figure out how can we create tools from an analytical side that would make everything more efficient from the front office, the coaching side, and everything like. So after I graduated from the Chicago, 
uh, I ended up joining the Next Gen Stats team in, in Los Angeles at the NFL media offices and have been enjoying my experience for simply what I believe is the next frontier of analytics, and that's the player tracking data. And that's a really awesome story, and you can tell just how detailed you are with everything, and you have a much broader background than what the normal person was, especially including myself, because I was a former college quarterback and I was a former D1 coach, but I've never been able to dive inside the analytical side of things. And Sashi Brown with the Cleveland Browns was really what I like to call the analytical revolution. And I know analytics were around before that, but he bought some baseball schemes type of things to the analytical and football side of things. So teams have kind of been hesitant to adopt the analytical approach, but there's been a real change in that. So what are the, some, some of the biggest reasons why you think teams were so hesitant to adopt these analytics? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it, my answer is, for analytics to really flourish, there must be buy-in from the primary decision makers of the, of the team. So this includes the GM, the head coach, the football operations execs, even the owner, all of whom have to be in the league, or, or, or all of whom who were in the league, well before the word analytics was ever used as a buzzword. And so what it does, it, it, it takes an investment into resources and time, and really it takes a, a you know, the um, diving into uncharted waters, something that you've been doing for years and years, and now you want to almost disrupt your day-to-day activities and apply analytics. And that could be scary, especially for, for long tenure and, for lack of a better word, court guard of football. And I think that for that reason, football has been the latest to adopt analytics, compared to the other professional major sports. And that sort of has to do with uh, the hunger and the thirst for teams to innovate. Now, I will say teams are finally eager to embrace analytics, especially with the rise of resources like next-gen stats and PFS and, and, you know, just how do you leverage new tracking data and everything of, of the like. But I would hesitate to say that, you know, are all these teams truly generating value from the data? It's one thing to generate insights. It's entirely different to turn those insights into actual actionable decision support. So part of that is clearly the, you know, trying to be effective communicators, talking in coach speak, taking complex ideas and making them simple. And really it's, it's how it's presented that's going to dictate its embrace by the high level decision makers, whether it's the GM, the coaching staff, now, I will say there are, there are a handful of teams that got in front of the arms race, just like you said, Sashi and company. Um, you know, they're, they're all about the, the idea that it can be used and leveraged at all areas of the organization and not just to simply say that this player is better than this player or, or uh, you know, we should make this decision on fourth down or that sort of thing. Now, it's breaking down the components of what teams are, are focusing on. There's a lot of different areas of their team processes that you can then leverage analytics. But what that means is no one's going to be a master of all. So you've got things like roster construction, game strategy, player performance, and player development, all as, all as umbrella topics that, all, that analytics can be leveraged and improved upon the day-to-day. So there are those teams that are mastering some, right? You've got some that are cap savvy. You've got some that are leading the way in sports science and maximizing player performance on Sundays based off of their practice workload management and all the likes. And when it comes down to it, 
those are the teams, the teams that focus and know how to turn those insights into action that are really generating the most value out of their data. Whether or not there's a vast amount of teams that are actually doing it, even though that they might have analytical staff, still remains to be seen. With all that said, I remember a moment, uh, you know, Norv Turner was the offensive coordinator at the time. And he said to me, Mike, we've been using analytics for years. And I said, yes, and now you can just do it faster. And really that principle comes down to, if you ever read Bill Walsh's book, you'll find analytical principles have been well-rooted in the game of football, you know, dating back to the 70s and 80s, whether it's game preparation, self-scouting. Only now we have the computer power to do a lot and data resources to do a lot of this significantly faster, be more efficient with time, focus on the areas of the team that can generate the most value of the or for the organization, both on and off the field. And you've certainly seen some teams embrace that from a full team and full organization standpoint. Other teams really just have maybe one or two guys that are doing special projects for the team and, and might not have and might not be able to turn those insights to action. So the next few years, as, as teams really do start to embrace, it will be a very compelling time in terms of who leverages the new data that's out there to make the most valuable decision support for the organization. And you raise a lot of really valid points right there, but I want to back up a little bit. So you said you developed this relationship with a gentleman named Jared Lander, and you guys put together an analytical platform or system together you've been involved in the draft room before you've been involved with drafting guys like Daniel Hunter Stefan Diggs Jared McKinnon Eric Kendricks the list goes on and on but with some coaches there seems to be some kind of cult to where they just stick to film strictly and they just ignore all this analytical data that they do have and that's presented to them and even guys like Jared McKinnon and Derek uh, uh, excuse me Daniel Hunter who tested in the 90th plus percentile in some of these categories so how do you guys separate the two and then bring them back together? Just speaking on the film aspect and the analytical side and then bringing it back together to put together a draft profile for these prospects. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's, it's a great question because there's, tr there's no true answer. I mean, based off of our experience, um, you know, I, I always I'm on the firm camp and belief that uh, that film should always reign supreme and then it should outweigh the analytics side. It's about the fusion of the two that creates the most value. So I, I think the analytics revolution in baseball is the perfect case study for the fusion of, of traditional scouting and, you know, the application of analytics. Um, you know, age general manager Billy Bean was at the Sloan conference a few years ago, and I'll never forget the words he said. He said, 70% human intuition, 30% analytics. That's as far as I'll go. And that's, this is coming from, you know, the Moneyball GM himself, suggesting that the human decisions and the human intuition and understanding that this is a human, humanized game. I mean, this is a people business game that really the role of, of analytics in the decision-making process should not necessarily be the majority. Now, it, if you're talking football and we're talking how do you, how do you put together the film and the analytics to, to, to really make the best possible decisions, I would say that it, it's, it's really about understanding that analytics can, can be better used to leverage the data that the scouts have been collecting for years and years and years. So whether it's quantitative data from the combine, measurables that you know, the public really doesn't know existed. I, I think it's funny that, that the whole DK Metcalf story came out about his you know, uh, four or 5% body fat because 
from the standpoint of, of what they measure at the combine, there are about 10 to 15 different flexibility measurements and, and different uh, characteristics that they're getting at the combine that the, that the public really doesn't know that exists. And again, those are all data inputs that you can use to create a model. So, you know, going specifically to sort of what we did in 2015, the idea was how can we take the hundreds of, of you know, probably up to 100 uh, quantifiable and quali qualitative uh, data points and how can we predict NFL success? So that year uh, we decided essentially we wanted to create a, a, a player validator, you could call it, or a, almost a, a player validation, analytics validation, but also a risk assessment. So the idea was we're going to highlight guys that test above a certain level or up above a certain threshold, not just athletically. I'm talking taking the college grade that the scouts assign these guys and use those as inputs into the model. Take grades that these scouts are collecting on traits. So whether or not you've – whatever scale you might use, you might have a 1 through 5, 1 through 7, 1 through 10 scale on – evaluating a receiver's route running ability, separation, his quickness, his hips, his fluidity, his size, his, ability, his body control, his uh, ability to high point, his, you know, his speed, his acceleration, everything of the likes. All of these things, if you've got a consistent grading method, let's say a one through five scale, those are data inputs. Those are perfectly acceptable uh, things that, that you can then input to a model. Now, you might not see, get a lot of signal from from all the inputs, but I think that's the job of the computer is to say, okay, this is what is important for this position. Or if a player is this fast and this smart and tested this well and, and was this productive, then boom, it's a, uh, you know, whatever the number might spit out, it's more of a, okay, this is an analytically supported tech or an analytically supported player. Likewise, and conversely, the idea of a player being a risk is simply a collection of traits that create what we call a fatal flaw. So do they possess something that would make their chances of success significantly less uh, based off of their numbers? And what really I, I think is the best application of that is to apply the analytical evals to the end of the scouting process. In April, after, you, after the scouts have already set the board in, in February and they've redone the board in April, that's when you sort of have a lot of guys who have similar grades where you got to decide, okay, how do we break these ties? Now, that's from the standpoint of early rounds. From the later rounds, it's the opposite. It's the, okay, we're going to avoid risk, and we're going to seek out potential analytical darlings, as, as we like to call it, or, or diamonds in the rough. And I think the fusion of the two things together, when the data in analytics matches what the scout says, then we feel good about our scouts eval and everything of the likes. When the analytics challenge the scouts uh, uh, numbers for whatever reason, it's, it, it creates two things. You either go back to the tape, one, or you can treat it like a game of minesweeper and avoid the player altogether. It's almost like one negative of either side, film or analytics, is essentially a negative that the, that the player likely doesn't have uh, what it takes, or, or less of a chance, I should actually say. So put all that together, and, and you've, what I like to call it is the stamp of approval. Does the analytics like them? Do the scouts like them? And if so, we've got a board of maybe 75 names that would be worthy of these picks. And to tie this back to the 2015 draft, 
that's sort of that's exactly how we applied it to the draft board, right? It was we, we, it was it was almost like a, a, a sticker that was the analytics and the scout support, um, and a lot of the guys that we chose that year were had that sticker, and we avoided the guys uh, that tested below a certain threshold. And really, that's how we ended up netting a lot of guys, not just, uh, you know, the, the, the Trey Waynes in the first round, the Eric Kendricks in the second round, the Daniil Hunters in the third round, Stephon Diggs in the fifth round. But we actually also picked up Anthony Harris uh, from Virginia, the safety, who's now really taken over as the, as the full-fledged uh, strong safety in that, for that team. And also Justin Coleman, who we just saw signed a, a big-money deal, uh, Yeah. Uh, with the Lions. So uh, it, it was a very cool experience to, to be a part of that uh, process and to have analytics not just be um, a, little, a small piece, but almost like a, like a validator. And I think the fusion of the two, uh, it should never be one or the other. The fusion of the two is how you can make the most, uh, maximize the, the, the greatest value you can possibly get uh, from your draft class. Um, you know, and, and, and really without stepping on the, the scouts' toes because really they are doing the job that is necessary. The, the, the college grade, their evals are a better predictor than any one single metric. Um, and so, again, the fusion of the two in any draft model is key. And it makes a lot of sense because what you see with the Vikings to this day and even when you were there in those later rounds, like you said, the analytical darlings always wondered – just what goes into maybe getting those late round lottery tickets. That's what I like to call it. And it really matches up now because even last year with a guy like Mike Boone, the running back from Cincinnati who just tested off the charts, they took a chance on him as an undrafted free agent. Stephen Weatherly is another great example that tested off the charts as well. And these guys are turning out to be productive. Boone is going to get his chance next year now that Latavius Murray is out the door. So we'll see how he does end up. But Stephen Weatherly has turned out to be another great player that you guys really considered as an analytical darling and diamond in the rough. So it really matches up what you were saying. But moving on. So you got your master's in analytics at UChicago. Now you've transitioned on to next-gen stats. So I want to ask you, how does your experience differ from the NFL to what exactly you're doing now with Next Gen Stats? Yeah, I would say this is a a very fun time to to be a part of the Next Gen Stats team. Uh, hopefully, you guys follow us on on Twitter at, at Next Gen Stats, and you know we've been posting a lot of content and a lot of new storylines uh, of our data that we that we create out of the player tracking data. Um, from the standpoint of of, of really the new frontier and the new application. Um, you know, it, it's a very, it's very fun to almost be playing in a sandbox. You could call it right. Creating new stats, uh, being able to extract uh, things that you would have never been able to do without the tracking data. So I'm talking uh, receiver route running ability and the ability to create separation and understanding, uh, you know, how do players create space and understanding speed and acceleration and all these types of things that, that really it, it, it could go in and help the, uh, the scouting and pro personnel uh, side from the team side. But really from, from my perspective, I'm, I'm focusing a lot uh, more on how does this data tell, tell great stories? How can we educate the fan to leverage uh, the insights that we can extract from next-gen stats data? And really it's, it's a very fun time to be at this level. Now, the difference is, um, you know, working at Next Gen versus working for a team is, uh, you know, the, the Mondays are certainly a lot easier, right? You, you don't have to uh, uh, have your entire week 
be based off of the results on Sundays. So from the standpoint of, of, uh, of you know, work life and, and style like that, it, it, it's been nice to be on the media side and that sort of thing. Now, we are also working with teams to sort of help improve and leverage the data for teams that don't have a full staff that's devoted to next-gen stats. So there is that as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, working for NFL Media Group and, and working – or really for, for the league and, and then working for a team, there are definitely pros and cons to both. Um, I would say that it's been um, – you know, from, from an analytical side, it, it's, it's very cool to be, to have, basically to have the ability to work with this new data um, and to really take it and create new metrics out of it. Um, and, and yeah, I, which one would I say would be better? And I know you didn't ask that is, is there really, really isn't an answer for that. It, it's truly pros and it, there's, there's pros and cons to both. Um, and, and really we're excited about the future of next gen staff. Mikey said a ton, and I'm so much smarter after talking to you and so many more things make sense, especially from a person that's trying to learn the analytical side and not being so film heavy. But before I let you go, do you have anything that you guys are really working on in next gen stats that you maybe want to plug or promote while you're on here? Sure. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, we're hoping uh, by next season the the idea of the continuous completion probability. And and so if you've seen some of our stuff, whether it was on NBC broadcast this year for Sunday Night Football, uh, we, in, we introduced the idea of completion probability. So based off of the in-play factors of the play, whether it's separation from uh, the receiver to the cornerback, whether it's the speed of the cornerback or the, uh, the speed of the receiver or the speed of the quarterback or the air distance of the pass, essentially we've created a model to say what's the, pro- what's the likelihood that this pass is completed. And it's very compelling from an individual play perspective, right? You can say, hey, they completed this pass. It, was, it only had a 15% chance of being completed. That's a pretty cool play. But what the next level of this is definitely the idea of continuous completion probability. At whatever tee time in the play, when the quarterbacks drop back, what decision is he, maxim- is he maximizing the expected yards, the expected value of the play, by who we targeted at whatever T instance you're looking at. So you can really get into the idea of did a quarterback make the right read or did he make the right throw? And whether it's aggregating a, a, a quarterback stats to get decision-making or, or just to break down the nuances of a play and how it develops and, and to really maximize, how do we maximize the value of the play? It'll be really, really fun because we can answer a lot of new questions um, when this model is, is, is finalized. And what I think from that perspective is, is really the, the application from the media storyline side and then from a team schematic side, right? How do I put my, my players in a position to best maximize the value of plays? And I think we can start to get more deeper into the play level, the play calling level, um, really. And, and it's, it's just an exciting time of, about you know, the, all the questions that you could potentially answer uh, with a model like like continuous completion probability and that's some really awesome stuff mike i've picked your brain long enough once again that's mike band from next gen stats and mike i just want to thank you once again for joining the draft board podcast you got it man thanks for having me on wow really fun interview right there with mike band from next gen stats and 
being that I'm a heavy film guy when I'm evaluating prospects, I ventured off into the analytical side of things, but that was the whole purpose of bringing Mike on because he has that professional NFL background that you rarely get the insights to. So all of the information that he just talked about, the algorithms, the platforms, and the databases that they have installed in his time with the Vikings, with Next Gen Stats, and when he was at Florida, just getting that behind, getting that type of behind-the-scenes information is just something that is really hard to get and something that you can't get every day as well. So once again, kudos to Mike. I want to thank him again for coming on, and he definitely will be back on as we get closer to the draft as well. And that's just the type of interviews and interviewees that we will be having on the Draft Board Podcast. And the individuals that I'll be interviewing going forward are only going to get better from here. So once again, I just want to thank you for listening to the show. Make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the show. Leave a five-star review. Subscribe. See you guys next week with a whole bunch more to talk about. We'll get back more into the draft side of things, even though we're in a heavy free agency period right now. Once again, I want to thank you for listening to the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D NFL. I will see you guys next week.